wondering if you guys ever get stuck in the YouTube wormhole <laughs> that I do. You know that time where you're like just going to look at one video on YouTube, but then there's all these suggestions, and you think, I'll just click on one more, and then it turns into like 10 videos that you watched? Well, I did that this week. I got caught in the YouTube wormhole of watching videos of people with colorblindness, which evidently there are a lot of men in particular who have colorblindness, um, who can't see certain distinctions between colors, but they have these new lenses called Enchroma lenses um, that are pretty expensive that uh, people can get. And these videos um, follow all these different people putting on these lenses for the first time and then seeing the differences in colors. And they were just like fascinating to me because I couldn't imagine what it would be like to not see all the colors that there are in the world. And uh, for these people, a lot of them talked about how they never learned their colors because they couldn't see the differences. So they just kind of like heard about purple, but they didn't really know what that color was like. And I just can't imagine like things like flowers and grass and um, eye colors and hair color and even skin tone is kind of lost for them. And then they put on these glasses and it's like everything is really bright to them. And um, most of the time they cry because it's so overwhelming for them because they were always a part of this world and yet for the first time it looks different for them. And so that's the image that this teaching series is all about. That idea that when we become followers of Jesus, that the truth of the gospel and the good news changes how we view everything in our lives. That the gospel is all about how Jesus' death and resurrection is the long-awaited victory over evil and the rescue of the world that the Jews had been promised for generations. And that the good news is that with Jesus, there's a new kingdom here with new values and practices and ideas of power and privilege. And when we truly understand the goodness of that news, that it changes everything for us and that we have a life through new lenses. And that is true for us today, but it's also true for the first century Christians who were the first to follow Jesus. So if you can imagine what it would be like for them, it was all new to them. You know, they didn't, weren't raised in homes where their parents could teach them about what it was like to view their life through the gospel. That was all new. They couldn't look at history of churches and how they handled these big problems in the churches that sometimes happened. That, that was all new to them. And so that is why, included in the New Testament of the Bible, there are these letters that are written from church leaders who started churches throughout the Roman Empire and all these different cities, and they're sending letters to these specific churches, sometimes specific church leaders, and they're giving them advice. And they send these letters to places like Galatia and Philippi and Ephesus and Corinth. And we know those as part of the Bible, First Corinthians, uh, book of Ephesians, Philippians. Those are all letters that are written to churches. And so, like Larry said, we're going to focus on one particular letter that we know as 1 Corinthians. And so before we look at the actual teachings in 1 Corinthians, I just want to discuss the importance of remembering how to read these letters. 
It's really important for us to remember that these letters were written in an ancient language. They were written um, to a specific time and place in a specific culture. And those languages and the culture, for most of us, we don't really know much about the language or the culture back then. And so when we're reading the um, letter, and specifically uh, 1 Corinthians, we have to kind of remember that because sometimes we're reading through and it, it can be a little bit confusing for us. So um, I just want to give you an example for us to kind of think about what it's like when you're trying to apply one cultural um, experience into another culture. And I am sure you've all experienced that probably in your own life, maybe when you're traveling or maybe right here in, in New York City. But I have one humorous example. Um, so several years ago, uh, my sister-in-law decided to bring a small group of people from her home church in a really small town in Ohio called Fort Recovery, Ohio, which I have been there before. It's a very small farming community. And so these people wanted to come and kind of see what church was like in our context, a very different context than their own. And so, um, you know, for many of them, it was the first time they had been to a big city. Before that, Cincinnati or Indianapolis was like the big city, which if you haven't been there, but they aren't big, that big as cities, right? You know, it's like, but it was like shocking for them. That's a big city. And so um, there is this cultural practice that happens in really small communities all over America, but certainly in Fort Recovery, where when you're driving around and there's so few people that you occasionally will come across another person. Like maybe they're outside of their house, okay? <laughs> so what you do is you're driving, you honk at that person, and then the person waves back. Now, a lot of times you know who that person is because there aren't a whole lot of people, and you know who everybody is. But even if you don't know, it's still polite to honk and wave. So these lovely small towners come into my neighborhood, and they don't look quite like they fit. You know, there's a large group of them walking down um, the streets, and so the taxi drivers... Um, and they're kind of black cars, think they must be tourists, maybe they want to ride. So they honk, and they're like, hi, <laughs> hi, hi, and it was like the confusion. You can imagine the confusion, and I had to kind of explain um, what they were doing. This idea of two different places with very different cultural practices that just don't fit in the other place. And it's really important for us to remember that fact when we're reading this letter because it was written to a specific time and place and it's addressing specific issues in the church. It's really important for us to remember that because if you go about reading 1 Corinthians, you're going to come across some sections that are really confusing. Just for an example, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 says, Women should remain silence, silent in the church. They are not allowed to speak. Okay, awkward moment. <laughs> I'm a woman, and I'm very much not being silent at this moment. Um, but <laughs> Paul is addressing this specific culture, a very different culture than our own, in a, a different time, in a very unique um, situation in this specific church that we don't really quite understand what's going on in the Corinthian church that he's speaking into. And so for years and generations, some Christian leaders have chosen to make this um, verse uh, 
generations to come. And other Christian leaders have said, no, this is a specific issue for the Corinthian church. And they look at other letters that, um, that Paul writes, and he talks about how women should prophesy in church settings, which that isn't being silent. And, you know, other, um, he talks about women who were leaders in the church. He, he talks about women who even discipled other male leaders in the church. And so th- these are the, the um, struggles that we have with reading the, these letters, these books in the Bible that often are um, you called the epistles. Um, so there you can feel very smart and call them epistles. There you go. So during the series, we're going to focus, instead of focusing on these kind of difficult passages that um, are different for our culture today, we're instead going to focus on five different themes that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians and how the good news changes the way we should view our life. And what is interesting is that all five of these themes or teachings are very relevant for us today living in the 21st century in New York City. And so Paul writes this letter because he is concerned about some of the issues in the church that he is hearing about in Corinth. And he feels like he needs to address these issues. So there are issues with division in the church, issues with sex, with different views on food, sacrifice to idols, issues with chaos in the, in the worship gatherings. And so he needs to correct these issues. The Corinthians, these new Christians, they aren't quite viewing their new life in Christ the right way, and so it's causing this issue in the church. I have to admit that correction, if you think about when you're being corrected in life or um, maybe even uh, surgery, there's a correction, or or, uh, glasses, you know, LASIK surgery, all those kind of corrections, they aren't comfortable, right? And sometimes they're even scary for us. But yet we know that the, in the end, life is better when we have that correction. And I had a rough week of correction myself. I'm going to be honest, this was one of the most difficult sermons for me to write. Um, I really struggled with it. In fact, I wanted to write a completely different one, and I tried to do that. But God just wouldn't let go of me. He was really working on me this week. It probably wasn't... Um, fun for my family to be around because I was just (laughs) fighting it. Uh, But I realized that God has been kind of telling me that there isn't something right in me um, for weeks now that I've kind of been pushing aside. And I realized um, when it started that I can remember is going to the hairdresser several weeks ago and um, she gives me a pile of magazines, like beauty magazines that I just don't tend to look at, and so I actually, I don't even know what magazine it was, but I found an article, really interesting article, about different people who have um, somebody close to them in their lives who has a very different political view than they do. And it was, this article was just showing the dialogue back and forth between these different relationships over different issues, and I was just kind of shocked by how healthy they were. They were um, very respectful, very loving, making it very clear how important the other person was to them. Um, They listened and kind of saw the other person's viewpoint. And and at the end, they probably didn't change the other person's mind, right? But they got a little bit closer, I think, 
by not making the other person the enemy, instead making that person somebody they cared about. And so that article really stuck with me and honestly kind of bothered me a little bit because I realized I didn't have those skills that all these other people seem to have. And it, it kind of bothered me because I realized that um, I have that struggle between, between me and other Christians sometimes that I have differences with. And that is exactly what I was supposed to speak on <laughs> this, this week. And so um, that was the struggle, that Paul, first of all, is addressing this issue of the division between Christians in the Corinthian church. And so I want us to just kind of jump in and look at this problem. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is what Paul writes to them. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Here we see Paul can sometimes be sarcastic in his writing. Um, he's showing the importance of what's happening here. And it, we see that the message has gotten back to him. Uh, you know, he began this church, and so people are writing to him and letting him know that there are these divisions that are happening inside of the church caused by people in the church stating that they were following the different teachings of these church leaders, Peter and Paul and Apollos. Apollos isn't as well known to us. Um, we read about him in Acts chapter 18, and one of the few things we don't know a lot about him, but one of the few things we know about him is that it says that he wrote or that he spoke with great fervor about the scripture. So I was like, he was the star kind of preacher, right? And then we also know that he traveled around a little bit. He went to Ephesus and he went to Corinth. And so he would have been known to the people. So basically, these people in the church are choosing their favorites, right? I like to listen to him better than the other guy. But it isn't just about preferences. That preference, those preferences are causing divisions in the church. And so Paul has to remind them that the focus isn't supposed to be on these different leaders. The focus is supposed to be that all of us are following Jesus. But that is countercultural to the life that they knew living in Corinth. So Corinth is this city that is in um, today, modern-day Greece. So they were Greek people. But for 100 years, when Paul's writing this letter, they had been a part of the Roman Empire. And so they were really proud of being a part of the Roman Empire. And one of the things that they were really proud about was their intellectual life. That's what was really important to the Corinthians. So the, the celebrities of the day, the rock stars of the day that toured around were actually intellectual teachers. So N.T. Wright, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, he said that there were men with a reputation as philosophers 
and instructors in the theory and practices of wisdom who would come and visit, and then the whole town or a good many people in the town would turn out and they would listen to them speak, and then everybody would be talking about it. And these celebrities, they traveled around, and what would happen is they started making disciples for themselves. Now, we use the word disciples a lot in the church, this idea that we're disciples of Jesus, but what that means is we are followers of his teachings. And so at this time, people could be disciples of many different types of teachings, and so that's what would happen. Who's your favorite uh, intellectual speaker? I'm a disciple of him. And so they were dividing over that. And instead of focusing on the fact that they were all followers of Jesus, they were all disciples of Jesus above everything else. And what I find interesting in this situation is that it isn't the leaders that are, that are asking that of them, right? Sometimes that can happen. Leaders can like to have followers for themselves, but that isn't what is happening here. Peter and Paul and Apollos, they aren't asking for there to be divisions but it doesn't matter. They're just kind of choosing to take the culture of Corinth and put it inside of the church. And they're causing all these divisions between one another. And I think, when I think about it, I think there's something in all of us that isn't yet quite transformed by the good news that is comforted a little bit by, de by being divided from people who are different than us even Christians. And so I have to confess that even more awkward than the verse about women being silent is Paul's plea that there isn't any divisions among us. Because I know that when I am different than another Christian, oftentimes I want to stay divided. I, I don't want to be in the same space with them because it makes me uncomfortable, right? Um, Christians who have strong opinions about women in ministry or people who have different Christians who have different political views than my own or Christian parents who have really strong feelings about how everyone should parent that are different than how I might be parenting right all of those people it's hard to want to hang out with them or read their Facebook posts <laughs> or even to listen to understand where they're coming from. Maybe I'm the only one who feels that way. Maybe you can't relate. But uh, just ask yourself, who are the Christians that you don't really like to be around? So my daughter in school this week, um, she's in eighth grade, and she goes to a public school here in New York City. And they had to work together to make a list with her classmates um, of ways that we all in society divide ourselves among each other. The people who are the others, the ones that we kind of keep away from. And my guess is that the list they came up with might be a little different than the one we come up with in the church. And my guess is there's some similarities. But for us, we have some differences, you know, maybe different personalities, different cultures certainly we're separated by, different political views, different theological views, different preferences of worship, different denominations, that we stay separate from one another. But reading over the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, you really feel the importance Paul puts on the division of the church. 
He's showing us that there is actually a lot at stake. And it's interesting, he gives the imagery in chapter 3 of working together as Christians, working together to build a temple. And in Corinth, they were really proud of their buildings, lots of amazing temples. And so Paul is kind of using that imagery to say, that's who we are. We are God's building that we are working together to build. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, he says this, for we are co-workers in God's service. He's leveling us out here, right? We're all the same. We're all in the service of God. And then he said, we are God's building. By the grace God has given me, he's speaking about himself, Paul here, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. So he's just saying, I started this church, I left, somebody else is building on it. He says, but each of you should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's also giving this imagery of the potential of building the building wrong in a way that it all kind of falls apart. You know, with the wrong materials, if you don't do it the right way, it's liable to fall apart. And that's what he's saying. If we don't build on the foundation of Jesus and nothing else, then we're building it in a way that can tear the whole thing down. That division inside of the church has the potential of tearing down the whole thing. And certainly it has the effect of causing people to view the church and Christ um, with suspicion because the world has just kind of watched for years that Christians have divided themselves between different leaders and different political parties and different denominations and different preachers and teachers. And so they are in question, what does this really mean? We're not really building ourselves on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So do we sense the urgency of Paul when he asks us all, is Christ divided? So perhaps this message was more about me than it was for you guys. Um, maybe you don't struggle with this desire to um, be divided from people that are different than you, even Christians. But here is something that I am just starting to work on when I feel in my body the uncomfortableness of being different than somebody, and even in my heart and my soul, what that's doing to me. So this is what I'm trying to do, to be like Paul is asking us to be. So the first step is to regard that other person as a brother and sister in Christ. If we read through 1 Corinthians, we see that Paul repeats this phrase over and over again. He's very intentional. He's calling us all his brothers and sisters and reminding us we are all brothers and sisters because of Jesus' sacrifice. That is what he did for us. He made us a family, and we are brothers and sisters. And so something changes inside of me when I choose to view somebody different than me as my family. Paul wrote, to be reunited in the same mind and the same judgment. And when he says this, he doesn't mean that we're all going to always think the same exact way about everything. But what he's saying is he wants us to put aside our differences enough so that we can realize that we're 
on the same team. We're in the same family. So we can work together towards the same goal. So we regard them first as a brother or sister in Christ. And the next thing we do is we remember our own brokenness. I remember my brokenness. Because what I find is when I focus on how different we are, oftentimes I focus on how I'm right and that person is wrong. I focus on how the other person is broken instead of how I am broken. Um, last week when we had the Enneagram class um, that John Wang taught about um, these nine different personalities that we all have. So talking about our differences, right? And every time he would kind of tell us about a new personality type, he would always say the same thing to us. This personality type isn't more or less broken than the rest of us, just broken in a different way. Every time, nine times he repeated that exact same phrase because it's important for us to remember. We are all broken. We're just broken in different ways. Paul says it like this in chapter 4, verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? All of us receive God's forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his love. We're even on that. Let's not pretend that it isn't that way. We all need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And then we need to choose to love them. Because the defining mark of Christians is to be our love. So over the next following weeks, we're going to see that choosing to love is actually the solution to all of the issues and that the Corinthians are facing. Every time, the solution is to love one another. Paul says in chapter 8, he says that love builds us up. Love builds us up. So he's talking about how division tears down the building, but love builds it up. And so it isn't surprising that this is the letter, this is the book, where we see probably the most well-known description of love. You've probably heard it before, the love chapter, been to a wedding where it uh, talks about what love is. It, it is something that we've heard a lot of, but I want to read it, and I hope that it's fresh for you this morning, especially when you think about it in relationship to the people that you feel different from, and not only different, but in a way that you don't want to be around them, or that you feel divided from them. And so we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. So this morning, remembering our brothers and sisters, remembering our own brokenness, and choosing to love one another, Paul asks us, is Christ divided? And the answer is no. So this morning, I, I want to close with a prayer for all of us of unity. I 
I want us to be unified as a church, that we are a family, we have unity in this family, but also that we are unified with all of our brothers and sisters in this neighborhood, in this city, and in this world. And so um, this prayer is a confession, um, and I, I pray that you would be able to find a place in yourself where you can, can kind of confess the times where you um, struggle with unity as well. Maybe somebody will come to mind as we pray this prayer, and maybe um, that's something that the Holy Spirit is working on you, that somebody that you need to, to work on your differences with that person. Maybe it's just a group of people. But I know that God um, is working in me to love better, and um, I pray that's true for all of us this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, how it must grieve your Holy Spirit that we have caused such barriers and divisions to be established within the body of Christ. And yet it was Jesus' prayer that we are one in the unity of spirit, one in the bond of peace, one in fellowship and love towards all those who love you. So forgive us our unbiblical prejudices and our unchristian principles, and forgive me of my own biases and my unloving attitude that I have towards other believers that don't conform completely to my own developed perspective of what a Christian should be. Forgive me for being too quick to criticize other brothers and sisters in Christ and for being too ready to declare our differences and to denounce them as unfit for fellowship rather than seeking to discover our similarities in Christ and rejoicing that all of our citizenship is in heaven. Help me, Lord, to love others as you have loved me, to love without prejudice or bias. Help me to be ready and willing to love the unlovable and to consent to be loved by others I would likely dismiss. And bind your people together in love and in the unity of spirit and the bond of peace and guide us, we pray, into all truth, knowing that you are no respecters of persons and that all, all who trust in your sacrifice at the cross are forgiven sinners and citizens of heaven and accepted by the Father and in the beloved in whose name we pray. Amen.